Welcome to the Speak With People podcast. My name is Jason Rates. I'll be your host, and this podcast exists to help you improve your communication skills. Whether you communicate one-on-one, to a team, from a stage, or from behind a screen, we know that when we improve our communication skills as leaders, it exponentially changes everything. It improves our relationships, it improves our leadership skills, and it improves our business skills. So let's get ready to dive into this next episode. Well, I'm so excited for today's podcast. I'm so excited for today's guest. I've been following him on LinkedIn and online for some time now. And oh, it was such an honor. It's just, it's just so great that we're able to get him on the podcast. And our guest really believes that radical generosity equals radical growth. And so he really challenges the conventional notion that generosity is just kind of a merely an event. Instead, he says it's a powerful mindset that can literally transform your life and your organization. So today, I sit down with Bob DePasquale. He's, like I said, a speaker, author. He's a host of his own incredible podcast called Speaking with Impact, which I hope you'll go and subscribe to right after this. We'll put that in the show notes. But I'm so excited to have Bob on the podcast. Bob, thank you so much, and welcome to the Speak with People podcast. You're welcome, Jason. Pleasure to be here. And I am glad I'm one of the people to speak on Speaking with People. It's a pleasure to be here and thank you for having me. Absolutely. Absolutely. Well, hey, before we hop into the questions, could you give us a little bit more of your story, who you are, what you do, where you're from, you know, all that kind of stuff. Let our listeners kind of get to know you a little bit more. Yes. I'm a recovering broadcaster. Okay. still loves broadcasting, actually. Uh, this medium, by the way, podcasting is one of the best. So intimate. Uh, mm. What an opportunity to speak directly with people. So um, you, you mentioned the Speaking of Impact podcast. I've had such a pleasure and joy of being part of that for over three years now, as we were just talking about uh, prior to recording. And my story is pretty simple. I was born in New York, moved to Florida when I was three years old and grew up loving sports and media and talking. I was an only child. I was kind of forced to step out of my comfort zone in some cases and, and introduce myself to people. And But I was also a spoiled brat at the same time, you know, like anyone out there who's an only child. <laughs> and I had the, the opportunity to go off to college and I, went, I chose to go back to New York because that's where my family's from. I really didn't know my cousins, my aunts and uncles very much. I had a great time growing up in South Florida here where I still live to this day, but I wanted to kind of step out a little bit. And I had an opportunity to play sports and get an education up there in college. And in a very, very short period of time, uh, my life was flipped upside down, if you will. Mm. And I had quite an experience with cancer and terrorism there. And um, I can definitely go into details on that. But essentially, after I graduated, I, I went to broadcasting grad graduate school. And somewhere along the lines, it's very, very early in my broadcasting career, I was recruited into finance. And that's where I learned some additional lessons about generosity that kind of lead my, my thinking and the work that I do to this day. So um, that's a crash course on Bob DePasquale, but I, I truly believe that you know none of us may ever think that we can change the world, but we, we have the power to change the world for at least one person in our lives. Oof. So um, if you believe that, I think you can go very far in life. Wow. I'm, uh, I'm, I'm putting my head down. Bob, continue to put my head down because I just want to make sure I wrote that line down. That was so powerful. <laughs> I uh, love that. Let me let me go One back for favorites. a second. Uh, part of your story. So, being a New York fan, then uh, are you know are you a, a Jets or a Giants uh, fan when it comes to football? 
Giants. Okay. Uh, if I were to the Jets, I think my dad would take my head off. Um, <laughs> so I've had the the pleasure, absolute pleasure of being a Giants fan over the years, even though uh, they haven't been very successful recently. And this season's been rough. But you know what? The Jets aren't exactly in a better shape recently either. So, <laughs> um, hey, not, none of us can brag at this point. Put it that way. Absolutely. Well, unfortunately, and hopefully this doesn't end the podcast, but I grew up uh, in Detroit, so not far from Ann Arbor, Michigan, where a Mr. Tom Brady went to school. And so I've always been a bandwagon fan of his. And so I've cheered for the Patriots for 20 years. And, you know, my poor Tom would have two more rings uh, if it wasn't for two more rings or at least one more ring if it wasn't for the Giants. So. Yeah, he, he he should have had two more to be honest with you, but but Eli and the crew stole it from them. They really and did. By the way, my wife is from Michigan too. Oh, uh, really? Bay City area. So a little oh, bit yeah. Of yeah, absolutely. So yep. I go back there often, and and now they're kind of trying to celebrate the Lions, but I think it's a little early yet for that. We'll see what happens. <laughs> yeah, yeah. We're we're all like we all got our fingers crossed. We're we're hoping it. Uh, it goes. Okay, let me just hit on, hit, hit on one other thing about your story. So you, you yeah. kind of went right through it, but uh, cancer and terrorism, I mean, like in the same sentence, either mm-hmm. one of those is, you know, <laughs> such a power, a powerful thing in itself. So, um, so I, I guess you went through cancer then, is that correct? Or was it a family member? Correct. And, and cancer has plagued my family for, for many, many years. Mm. Uh, there's some relatives, for example, my maternal grandmother, who I never met. She passed when, when she was very young. My mom was young when she passed. And so I um, didn't mean to gloss over those no, no, two no, no, powerful no. Yeah. words in, in our lexicon here. But um, one of the things I respect greatly about your show is that you provide consistent information. And I'd hate to uh, delve off into another uh, tangent on my on my personal story and sure. and fail to to reach some of the other insights that I know that you want to get to. But yes, I when I went off to college, I, I thought I was this invincible 18 year old. And in a very, very short period of time, I I went from having what I thought was a groin injury to being diagnosed with cancer. Oh. Um, and, you know, I went from thinking I was on top of the world and invincible to very, very mortal, put it that way. Ooh. Especially at 18, right? Because at 18, we all think that, right? I mean, our, our, some mm-hmm. of us, our pride, our arrogance, we can do it all. I mean, I think back to being 18, <laughs> all the energy and, you know, everything. Oh, wow, yeah. what, a, what a journey. Well, definitely we'll have to have you back and uh, talk more about that because I just, I, I already have like 10 questions, you know, especially to, <laughs> you know, especially folks who've been through that kind of pain. You just, you've learned so much and, and, uh, I can see it now as I listen to some of your podcasts, just the depths of, you know, the insights that you give. I'm like, okay, you've, you've been, you've been through a lot. <laughs> yeah. I, at a young age too. I mean, I think, I, I don't want to say that I had the worst experience because some people have lost their lives or their earthly mm. lives to, yes. to cancer. So that it's such a serious thing, but my experience was unique because at 18, you're technically an adult, but you're really still a child. And if you're listening out there, you know what it's like most likely to feel that invincible feeling at 18, you're going off to college, you feel like you, especially if you're going to play sports, you think you're on top of the world. And then in a very, very short period of time, that that was kind of changed for me. But yeah, I I had to deal with it. I ended up staying in New York for treatment. And um, like I said, and like you said, it probably could be a whole other episode in the conversation. And uh, we can point people to some other episodes and things sure. where I've talked about it, but essentially, 
you don't there's there's really no way to prepare for that mm. mentally or physically so mm. it, it was a tough time wow well and undoubtedly it probably fed into you know the the philosophy of generosity that you have lived out and love and so maybe take us back uh, in your story a little bit how did you come to this realization that you know the power of tra- generosity can really transform you not just your own life but you know especially your organization sure well Shortly after I was diagnosed with cancer, um, I was in New York and my my uncle's best friend, who we didn't know because we lived in, in South Florida, came over his house and was at the house for maybe 15 minutes. And the only reason why he came over to the house was to give my parents his car. Mm. He literally walked up to them, had never met them before, called them by name, reached into his pocket and pulled his keys out. And I mean, it looked like he was shoving them in my parents' face. And he said, here, Bob, Susan, those are my parents' names. Take my car. You can have it for as long as you need. I can only imagine what you're going through with your son right now. Oh. And I was like flabbergasted. I mean, my parents didn't even know what to say. And, and I thought to myself, wow, that's the most generous thing that someone's ever done for my family and I. Wow. And that was a Saturday. It was actually supposed to be the day of my first college football game. Now we knew at this point I wasn't playing in it because I had, uh, I had an injury up to that point, but just a couple of days before was when I was diagnosed. And, uh, so that was a Saturday, a few days later on Tuesday, my oncologist had told me I still need to take college classes. And while I was in my second ever college class, uh, it was on September 11th of 2001. And when I came out of class, I went to the cafeteria and I was watching TV on one of those like old school bracket, nine inch televisions kind of hanging from the yeah. corner of the ceiling of the wall. And, you know, you can barely see it. I don't know the news, but I'm watching the news and all of a sudden a plane crashes into one of the twin towers. And I had no idea what it was. I just thought it was a horrible accident. And I ended up calling my dad who was still at my uncle's house and he said, hey, uh, are you watching that? And I'm like, yeah, I'm watching this. What's going on? We were talking for less than a minute, Jason, and bam, the other plane hit the other tower. Oh my goodness. And we were like, oh man, that, this is not an accident. Wow. So long story short, and once again, very, very long story short, I got in the car. It took me nine hours to drive what was typically a 15 minute drive from my school to my uncle's house, burning towers in the distance listening to the whole thing on AM radio. I'll never listen to nine straight hours of AM radio again, by the way. Mm. Um, if, if anyone's ever done that, it, <laughs> that was the only thing that would ever make me do that. I ran out of gas in my uncle's neighborhood. Thankfully, I didn't run out of gas on the highway. Right. We pushed my car into his driveway and everyone, I mean, everyone's hysterical, but my aunt specifically, because my uncle was on business the night before in Denver and supposed to fly home that morning. Oh, so, thank God one of those planes was not from Denver, but yep. we didn't know that. And she was freaking out for the whole day or the whole time I was there. And I'm sure the whole day. And finally he calls later at night and he said, Hey guys, I know you're probably crazy. I mean, I'm sorry. I've been trying to get through the phones. I can only imagine I, you know, I'm fine. I'm in Denver. I'm stuck, but I'll try to catch a flight home tomorrow morning, but don't worry about me. And we were all relieved and we were getting ready to close it, you know, close the conversation. And he said, Hey, just real quick, before I let you guys go, uh, my best friend, Tim, who you all met on Saturday, he was in the towers this morning and he died. Oh. And so I tell you this whole story because Tim worked for Cantor Fitzgerald, an investment firm 
there in the North Tower. They had their offices, hundreds of people. They lost all of them except for their C- oh. CEO, Howard Lutnick, who, for whatever reason, I think he was taking his kid to school on some rant. Like, he never does this. He was always in the office. He definitely should have been in the towers with everyone. If you go back and you ser- YouTube the Howard Lutnick of Cantor Fitzgerald interview, press conference after the 9-11. I mean, it's one of the most emotional things. I mean, you can possibly watch, but Ugh. either way, Tim was, Tim, Tim, my uncle's best friend worked for them and they were known for being generous people, Jim, uh, Tim himself. In fact, so generous, they, they gave free office space to my uncle's foundation for cystic fibrosis, which is a disease my cousin has. So I was kind of indirectly learning all these lessons of generosity. Yep. But when I found out that Tim passed, and he used to have this thought or idea, you know, uh, Jason, you've heard of the, the acronym FOMO, fear yeah. of missing out or YOLO, you only live once. You've yep. heard those before. Yep. Well, Tim's idea was a little bit different. Now this is before, this is, you know, 20 plus years ago. This is before they even, those even really existed. He used to think, you know, you never know when your last opportunity to be generous for someone will be. Yep. And it turns out that Tim's last opportunity to be generous he capitalized on, and it was for me and my family. Wow. And so did I become the most generous person in the world at that moment? Will I ever be the most generous person in the world? Probably not, but that planted a seed in me. And so to answer your question, that was the point at which I realized the value of generosity. Now there's Mm -hmm. been multiple other events and and a career in the financial industry that has taught me more about it and how to manifest and how it's really, really helpful for businesses, for families, for individuals, and any type of organization. Uh, but that was the initial thing that really sparked it in my, in my mind. Wow. Wow. In your opinion, uh, if a leader in 2023, you know, carries the value of generosity uh, uh, proudly and, you know, tries to live that out, are they kind of swimming upstream compared to where other, you know, leaders are and kind of the world of like, I need to get more, I need to, you know, keep more for myself? Or do you think the tide is turning, you know, amongst leaders where they're valuing, you know, uh, they're seeing more of the benefits of being a generous person? Well, you'll have to excuse me as I pat myself on the back. Um, I think the work that I'm doing and my team has has been up to over the past couple of years, three years or so, um, has started to turn the tide a little bit. Yes. But if I'm being honest, though, now now I'll put on my humil- my hat of humility. <laughs> it's not necessarily any special work that we are doing. I think what's happening is, is people are starting to realize uh, the the need for a genuine thought process or mindset. And you alluded to my belief earlier in, in the in your introduction that generosity is not a mindset. Excuse me, it is a mindset. It's not an event. Mm. And so what's beginning to happen is I think there's a certain level of authenticity and I got to be careful with that word because I think it's being thrown around a lot on the internet these days, you know, show up your authentic self. And, and, um, I think that's important, but I had a thought the other day that a lot of people, I think, believe that authenticity, uh, is somewhat self-serving almost in a good way. And I, I don't necessarily believe that. I think authenticity is not necessarily an opportunity to do what's best for you but I think it's more of a feeling of confidence that you're highly capable of doing something great. And I, and I bring that up because the organizations that check the box of generosity, whether that's financial or volunteer work outside of the office and they celebrate it and it's on social media 
and they put it in their you know corporate notes or whatever bylaw whatever it is yep those are the organizations that i think are swimming upstream mm. because what's happening is is that you're telling people that being generous is something done out of necessity whether it's to get a tax break or to appease shareholders or maybe a you know a publicity stunt type of thing yep and that's just not effective and i've seen it there's data to prove this mm. what what is effective however is a mindset and culture of generosity and you mentioned it it's it started led began initiated by the leadership of an organization and it's not necessarily hey we're going to give you extra time off or we're going to give you gifts in the holidays or we're going to give you right uh you know a thousand dollar match on any charitable gifts that you do all those things are great i'm not telling anyone not to do those but if you want to swim with the waters of generosity to use your example you have to build a culture that appreciates collaboration mm. encouragement and here's a big one jason agency now a friend of mine natalie silverstein uh, who has got a program about uh, about helping young people learn about the virtues of generosity she always talks about giving young people agency in whatever it is that you're teaching them and in her case specifically generosity and i believe the same thing the same principles can be relied upon in business so you have to give your people your employees that you know, even your customers everyone that's involved in your organization should have some level of agency on being generous and collaborating with other people so they should be able to they should be encouraged to make decisions that include other people and consider the benefit of people outside of just their own cubicle that they work in. Absolutely. Goodness, that's so powerful. I mean, I go all the way back to 18 years old. Someone handed me a book called, uh, you know, How to Influence. Uh, uh, oh, I just, I just ruined the title. The Great Dale <laughs> Carnegie book, How to Win Friends and Influence People. Yep. And so that's much of that lifestyle is, is putting others first, is being generous with your time, with your ideas, with your leadership. You know, it bucks the trend that, I've got to be the one with the platform. I've got to be the one with all the ideas and what you're talking about right there. I mean, how powerful is that in companies and organizations that build that type of culture, like their staff don't want to go anywhere and they actually want to work harder because of that gener that generosity. Exactly. Radical generosity equals radical growth because when you do things that are unexpectedly generous, now radical has got a bad connotation. I think some, sometimes in society that we think it means you're off the wall, crazy and taking yeah, silly risks sure. and, you know, but radical simply means if you look up the definition or at least the traditional definition, it simply means that you're doing something that maybe other people wouldn't typically decide to do. So if you act radically generous, you're going to provide radical growth for your organization because of exactly what you just said, because people want to be there. People want to be involved. So you're going to attract the best talent, retain that talent, Right. And then you're also going to attract really loyal customers because they want to do business with radically generous organizations. Boy, I love that. I love that. So when it comes to this generosity, you know, especially in leaders, I mean, we've got to, we've got to talk about it. We've got to communicate it. Sometimes it's hard because we're like, Oh, I want to, you know, I want to this, I want this generosity and quiet. Don't want anybody to know about it. But in order to build a culture, like we've got to openly talk about, Hey, we're going to be generous with this. We're going to be generous with that. Let's talk to us a little bit just about how leaders can, you know, work to, you know, have a communication mindset that they've they got to spread this idea. They've got to cast vision mm -hmm. for it. Well, once again, it's a mindset. So it yeah. should be in your lexicon. It should be in your words. It should be in the actions. Yep. It should be in your meetings, your emails, everything that you do. Now, I don't want to 
you know, I, I can't tell someone to spend four hours a day crafting a, a generous brand for even if it's just internal. But what I will say this is, as you start thinking about trying to make a shift and build a generous culture, you got to start small, start simply with little things that are easy for you to, to motivate other people. And once again, give them agency in helping other people within the organization. Yep. And so you should, I heard once that Steve Jobs, when they, when they were opening the new offices for Pixar, I believe it was Pixar before that, you know, before all of that, you know, they, it was bought out by Apple and all that stuff and he left and came back. But at one point they were opening a new office and he had the whole office remodeled to make sure that people were together more, spending more time together. Mm. Now, I'm not telling you to remodel your whole office and spend millions of dollars on your building, uh, but I am telling you that the places in the middle of your building, whether this is a virtual building, however you want to visualize this, yep. but you should encourage people to be together. They should spend more time. So they should have to pass by other people or they to get to the mail room or to get to the cafeteria or the meeting rooms should be the easiest to get to the solo offices in the corners and cubicles should be the hardest to get to. So just design things and think about bringing people together, making them collaborate. If you can assign projects, assign multiple people to a project, tell them to help each other. And this one is, I spent, we kind of talked about it a little bit. I spent some time in the financial industry. I'm still in the financial industry. But one of the big flaws, I believe, in many organizations in our industry is that a lot of the people that work for these organizations, especially in sales roles, believe that they have to take down the person next to them mm. to be successful. They, they created this competitive environment. Now, someone who's played sports, and I still play some sports now, I still love exercising. I'm very, very competitive. I mean, you don't even want, you don't want to play Monopoly against me because I'm ruthless. <laughs> Yes, <laughs> but when it comes to this environment in in business, I prefer to play team sports mm. rather than solo sports. So you're playing football or soccer or baseball. You're not playing tennis or golf in in business. So if they're part of your team, they should be collaborating. Now, there's nothing wrong with saying we need to beat our competitor. Yep. But it, that's that's way better than I need to take down the person in the cubicle next to me to be recognized, to win Hall of Fame awards, yep. to be paraded across stage, to get the the, the greatest, the, the latest sales, um, you know, contest, whatever it is. Design incentives that encourage people to collaborate mm. and not compete. That's so good. That's so good. And it, it goes, it's just, it goes anti to some of the, you know, the, most basic of business thoughts, you know, like you just talked about, you know, but, but it's, it's really the, the way forward. It's the path to success. It's just incredible uh, for you on a personal level. Has that, you know, you talked about, you know, that moment where your parents, you know, got the car. I mean, what a powerful moment. Have you had any other of those type of moments for you personally over the years that just marked you so much that you're like, I've got to, I've got to pass that on. I've got to do that. And other people. Well, remember I talked about giving people agency? Yeah. Uh, one of the most powerful things that I ever did, now if you're a business person, this could be really helpful to you as well. Um, one of the most powerful things that I ever did, and part of the reason why my business partner and I left our, the, the large firm that we work for, and by the way, we love the people there. We're still friends with many of them. So it had nothing to do with being, wanting to get out of there. But what it had to do was with answering the call of the people that we served. Mm. And 
you talk about a moment. I'll never forget this moment. I had someone ask me on the phone unexpectedly. They asked me, they said, hey, Bob, you've really helped me invest some of my retirement dollars. You made sure my family is protected. I have a plan for the future. Thank you so much. And I expected that to be it because that was kind of the end of our scheduled call time. But they were like, let me ask you one more thing. And I was like, sure, you know, and I was, I was kind of looking at the clock, like I got another call here in a minute, but boy, am I glad I didn't hang up with them because this lady yeah. said to me, she said, you've given us direction in our financial lives, Bob, but now we need some more direction. I need you to help me and my family determine where we can make the most impact with our resources. And I'll never forget that because it hit me that these people don't just want a bunch of money mm. and they don't, yeah, they care about how much money they're making in their, in their stock, in the stock market or their retirement, whatever it is. Yep. Yeah. But what they really want is to know that what they have is doing good. Yeah. And it hit me right there that people need this help. They need the guidance. They need the service. And I had to figure out how I could provide that for them. Yep. And that was a critical, critical change uh, in my professional life, even in my personal life, because then I suddenly started to think, wow, what about my own work and the yeah. own re my own resources that I have? Like I've been helping people think about generosity, helping them save on their taxes so they could be more generous. I've helped people give away millions of dollars. But what am I doing with my own resources? Yeah. And so at that moment, I said, I got to figure out how to do this. And it, it didn't happen right there, but it eventually led to me and my business partner starting our own company. Wow. Wow. That's incredible. Talk to us for a second about the employee who's working for a place and the there is no culture of generosity. And they're they're trying to kind of bring some changes. Any advice you'd give them as they're trying to chip away at their, you know, at their culture, their team, their supervisors, you know, all that kind of stuff. Yeah, that's that's a powerful one. I think every organization has a different communication process. Yeah. Uh, the more it's good. I think the more consistent it is, the more effective it is, not necessarily the more open. I mean, we would all love to have a completely open line of communication with our superiors and the people that work for us, but that's not always the case. Uh, consistency is key, I think. And so there's nothing that says this is important more than you've brought it up multiple times. Mm. So I don't think there's any template email or phone call or, uh, you know, agenda item you can put on the weekly meeting that you and your team have if you're just an employee and not necessarily a leader in title. I think what it, I think the, the way that you make headway is by consistently mentioning these things, yes. and I don't, you know, obviously not in a rude way, but it should be known with your, your superiors and also the people that you work with that you believe it would be more helpful for something. Now, I'm not going to guarantee that that's actually going to be effective. But at bare minimum, worst case scenario, it's going to enable you to practice and perfect the way that you articulate what you believe generosity is. So you may not be working at that organization. You may not have the power or the ability to recruit other people to help you completely change the culture. You might. And I would encourage you to try, but if you're that employee trying to make a difference, yep. the least you can do is be consistent with your messaging 
and you'll and you'll come out of there whether you still work there or not in a couple of years or a couple of months whatever it is the next place that you go you'll be prepared to build that culture whether you're an employee at the next place or what if you get a job what if you get a promotion in that company or you take another job and now you're a leader and yep. you've already been practicing articulating this for a year or so you'll be primed and ready to go and be a tremendous generous leader oh that's so good that's so good. Uh, in the background, I'm, I'm seeing a cover of your book. Could you kind of give us, uh, you know, the, you know, the um, Reader's Digest guide to your book? Because, you know, I'm a book guy. I'm, I love, you know, um, that you've written a book. And so we'd love to get yep. our listeners just a little bit more about it. Yeah, I would love to. So I, I mentioned a moment ago about me using the resources that I have to help people. Yeah, this is really that in action. Once I left my the large firm that I worked for, suddenly I had an ability to do more media and different things. I didn't have as many mm. restrictions from a compliance perspective because now I, now I really, you know, I designed our own security and compliance systems. So I was like, well, I can actually write a book now. I don't have to go through approval process and good luck if it even gets approved. So I realized after working for 12 years with many people, one of the biggest things that was hurting, especially millennials, and, and younger generations, but even Generation X and, and, and boomers and my parents and above, uh, a lot of people are just completely distracted by social media and ads and technology. Yep. And we don't realize it, but it's distracting us from our financial decisions. There's a lot of literature out there about what it does for your family life and your psychology. And those are arguably more important than financials. But my expertise is in financials. So yep. what I decided to do is I want to do the research and figure out exactly how social media ads and technology are affecting our money decisions. And then I'm going to apply it to various topics related to personal finance. And so that's where you get personal finance in a public world. And it's a play on words because finance is a taboo topic. You know, you don't talk about it. it's very personal. You don't tell people how much money you have and how much money you make. But technology and social media ads is all public. You can get on the mm. internet. I can talk with you from Tampa, I could, I was recording a podcast with someone from Australia the other day. So <laughs> right. we have all this information available to us, but, but per, finance is so personal. So how can we actually use technology for good? And that's what it's all about. Oh. That's the Reader's Digest version. There's different topics, you name it, financial topic that you're interested in. I, I bet you there's a chapter on it. Oh, that's so good. Well, I can't wait to get it. We have a Speak With People community Facebook group with hundreds of leaders from around the world, actually. And so I like to, our podcast uh, guests, when they have a book, like to get it and do a giveaway in there. So we'll definitely be giving it away in our community group as well and uh, help you and we'll tell them all about it as well. So, hey, before I let you go, though, I mean, you've given us such great wisdom, such such insightful and some and some practical tips on just, you know, living this kind of way. Let me let our audience kind of keep getting to know you. I'm going to ask you some rapid fire questions. Um, speak with people. We talk a lot about public speaking, you know, standing in front of people. Do you have a favorite speaker? Just someone that you're like, oh, I could listen to them all the time. Well, my favorite, I think, is Simon Sinek. Mm. Um, I actually had an opportunity to ask him a couple of questions once. Um, and so, yeah, I, <laughs> I really appreciate his work. Wow. He's just amazing. Uh, now you're, I mean, I'm, I'm, I'm using this word. You're not, but uh, a prolific podcast host. I mean, you have a lot of podcasts. Your podcasts are really well done. You know, all of those, all of those guests that you've had, are there any that stand out that you're like, Oh, that, that, that podcast guest was the most powerful. Couldn't, couldn't, you know, 
just pinching myself that I got to have them on. Oh man, can I list a couple? Because this is, I thought about this one a lot. I mean, this, this is tough. I mean, I, the, the most, I would say, uh, one of the biggest names um, that I've had on, uh, do you remember, do you remember the song, Whoop, There It Is? Oh yeah. Sure. Yeah, yeah. I had DC Glenn from, <laughs> yeah, I had him on. And man, what an inspiration this guy is. I mean, he's now 50 in his 50s and he's still working his butt off like like he's just trying on the come up, trying to get his music played in the clubs. But yeah, tag team DC Glenn. He was awesome. Wow. He sticks out the most to me. Um, and then the, there's another couple. I have a couple of my teammates on who are doing great from like high school and college who are doing tremendous impact work uh, that I just, I really cherish the, the opportunity to speak mm. with people like, Nate Sally and Joe Nolan and those people just really inspired me um, to, and they were early on and they really pushed me forward to get to interviews like DC Glenn, which I think he was, I think he's episode a hundred. So he was pretty far in. Yeah. And uh, man, what a cool conversation that was. Oh, I love it. Uh, is there a book that you would recommend? You're like, Hey, every, every leader has got to read this book. Like it's just that foundational. There's one, uh, it's not known as much in the business world I, I've, I've heard, but I read a book called A 12-Week Year mm. about halfway into my career in the financial services industry, and it completely changed my business. Um, and it's all about breaking down your yearly goals and your business year into, into, 12, four, into, tw into four 12-week years. And then you get an extra week of buffer time to plan for the next year. But essentially, it prevents two things. At least it has for me. If Number one, you get out to a hot start on your year and you're 90% to your goal and then you just start coasting. Right. Right. And now it's June and you're kind of lazy and then you want to kind of pick it up at the end of the year, especially if you work in a role where you don't have a supervisor breathing down your neck. Um, it really helps you stay on task and, and, and iterate and change. If you're way ahead on your goals after the first 12 weeks, you can make adjustments and make sure that you're still motivated and you still have a reason to work hard. And then on the flip side, it also prevents, man, I had a rough first half of the year. My, my next, you know, the next, there's no way that I'll get back on track because I'm so far behind. That doesn't happen either because it enables you to make those adjustments every 12 weeks and make the tweaks. If you're a little bit behind after the first week, after the first year, the first 12 week year, the second 12 week year, you're going to have a different mode of operation because there's that built in week to make adjustments. So mm. 12 week year, easy, find, easy read. You could probably read it in a day and uh, really change my, my business planning. I love it. I love it. Well, man, thank you so much for your time. Tell us where we can, where's the best place we can find you online. We'll put all that in the show notes so we can steer people to where you're at. Yeah. You, you mentioned my LinkedIn profile. That's a great one. My website is bobdepasquale.com. All my socials are listed there my speaking engagements and all the work that I do. So if you just go to bobdeepasquale.com, you can find just about uh, anything you need to. I love it. I love it. Well, thank you again for being on the podcast. Really appreciate your time. And this was just absolutely fantastic. Well, thank you for joining us on another episode of the Speak With People podcast. We hope that you were encouraged. We hope that you were inspired and challenged to improve your communication skills. I want to thank you again for being a part of the Speak With People podcast community. Make sure you don't miss out on being a part of the Speak With People Facebook community group. Just head to Facebook, type in Speak With People, scroll down and join our community because every single day, 
We're encouraging each other. We're helping each other to improve our communication skills. Thanks again, and we'll see you in the next episode.